right. Am I on? Yes. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. Welcome back, Shana. Happened to, uh, I, was, I was on a blitz last night looking for Advent candles and uh, was going around in Steinbeck trying to find them. And, and I was so focused that I, I was, I think I was focused. I came out of Superstore, like a one-track mind, and, and I passed this person. And then all of a sudden behind me, I hear Paul. And, and it's Shana. And I had like complete, I had no idea that it was even her. So evidently, I was not paying attention to others around me. Um... So I wonder, every, every single day, how many times do you figure that you say something along, along the lines of, I think, dot, dot, dot. I think. I think this, I think that, I think, I think. Like, ballpark, 50, 100, 200 times a day? I don't know, I, maybe there, may, I don't know, is there a study on that? I, there probably is. But, but you know, it, it's all about perspectives and opinions and beliefs, right? And, and we're always operating out of those things. We're always operating out of what we think. Uh, and, and it's really the birthplace of all philosophies. It's the birthplace of all ideologies. It, it's it's ta- how we come to think how we come to process, which in itself, the, the brilliance of the human mind and, and how we can process is, is totally a gift from God. The way that the mind can think and the way that the mind operates is phenomenal on so many levels. But there are weaknesses in that. And, and, and we've all got blind spots We've all got biases. It, we, we know that there is the reality of prejudice. We know that we all have that. And, and, and this, it's really the temptation, part of it is the temptation to be our own God. It, it's, it's really what we see right at the beginning of Genesis. Genesis 11, where the Tower of Babel and the people gather together and they go, come, let us make a name for ourselves. We are going to be the, we're going to be the master of our domain, the master of, of where we're going. We're going to do it. And, and that, that, that flows down through all of human history. You know, I, I, it was interesting. I was, I was thinking about this this week, and then I, I remembered. So last week, Isaiah 55, if you remember, I, I, I referenced that as part of Jesus, um, the invitation to come to Jesus, and where in Isaiah 55 it says, come all who are thirsty, all of you who, who need bread, basically, come and, and buy without price. It talks there about that. And then, but, but just a few verses later in Isaiah 55, as the Lord is speaking through Isaiah, it says, the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And then, and then he goes on, my ways and my thoughts are higher than yours. And so we've, we've got to grapple with that. We've got to grapple with, we operate in a world and, and out of our own, uh, ourselves, our inclination is that it's all about I think, I think, I think, I think. But God says, my, my ways and thoughts are, are higher than yours. 
And they're not the same, actually. And so we come to see that there's this thing of the shortcomings of the human perspective. So in, in Matthew 16, we, we see three perspectives or, or three responses, if you will, to Jesus and how, how he's being regarded and how he's being perceived and what's being said about him. And, and I would suggest that all of the responses in Matthew 16 that we'll see are really, in a way, they're answering the most significant question. One, for sure, one of the most significant questions that we all have in our life. And that is, who is Jesus? And what does it mean for life? What, what does this mean? And so, and, and I think, too, that this was a question, for sure, that Jesus didn't mind provoking in people. He didn't mind that he was kind of poking people to, to get to this constantly because that, because if Jesus is who he says he is, then this is the paramount question for our lives. How, how could it not be? So we come to Matthew 16 and it starts off, We'll read verses 1 to 4. It says, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. It's an odd little discourse, again, that Matthew puts in here for us. The Pharisees and the Sadducees together, they weren't friends. The, the, those, those two groups were not getting together and singing kumbaya and hanging out together. These, these two groups were only, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but they were only brought together because of their opposition to Jesus. That was the only reason that they're there together. And, and so the Pharisees, like they... And the Sadducees here, they, they kind of, they want Jesus to be some kind of showman, if you will. Like, they, they, they want him to put on a show for them. And, and do you really think, like, if Jesus had, for whatever reason, if he had responded to their request and was like, okay, and, and do you think that would have changed anything at all with them? I, I mean, the evidence we see in scriptures, it wouldn't have changed anything. And, and Jesus, I mean, again, it's, the response here to them is just, it's so cut and dry. It is a, a staggering, stinging rebuke. He says, you are an evil, adulterous generation. Meaning, and I, and I think the reason he threw that in there is adulterous meaning they had broken the covenant. That the covenant that God had with his people, they had broken. And he says, the only sign, the only proof that you are going to receive here is that of Jonah. What happened to Jonah? Now, 
What, what was the miracle, if you will, or the sign that Jonah had? Like, why would Jesus throw that in? And earlier in, in Matthew 12, Jesus had already talked about Jonah. We, we kind of, I skipped over that part earlier when we were, um, as we've been going through Matthew. But there, what we see, the way that Jesus talks about Jonah, is that Jonah was a foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament. There was, there was stuff about what happened with Jonah that was a foreshadowing of what was to come. Jonah sacrificed himself so that others would be saved. Jonah disappeared from human view in doing this. Jonah, he was in the whale, right? He was sustained for three days when he could not be seen. And then he came back after three days as though from the dead. And what, what did Jonah ultimately then do? And, and, and yes, it didn't end, actually end well for Jonah. If you read the book of Jonah, it didn't actually end overly well for him from what we see. But Jonah came and he preached repentance. That's, that's what John the Baptist came on the scene doing. And that's what Jesus came on the scene doing. And what Jesus is revealing here, what he's saying is, you guys want nothing to do with that. See, and that's where in Matthew 11, where Jesus had, had spoken those stinging woes over Bethsaida and Chorazin, and he had said, and Capernaum, and he's like, you know, all the stuff that you saw, all the miracles that I've done, and Jesus is like, it didn't lead you to repentance like it was supposed to. And so that's why these Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had witnessed all this. And this is what makes what they, them coming to Jesus and demanding a sign, if you will, it's so wicked. Because they're, they're trying to use Jesus. It's, they're, they're trying to bait him. They're, they're saying to him, prove yourself. Which is, incidentally, and I, I wonder if there's a bit of a connection here that Matthew's making, is the same thing that Satan did to Jesus in the desert. Prove yourself. You know, and there's... The th so the thing about the Pharisees and the Sadducees here, and this is what again makes it so wicked, and I think why Jesus responds that way is, he knew that they had no intention of responding in repentance. They had no intention of following him. And I kind of wonder if there's a bit of a, a warning in here for us. Where there's this thing of, where we can, a feeling like we want Jesus to prove himself to us. Like, Jesus, I need you to show up and I need you to do this for me in my life. I need you to prove to me that, that you really care. I, I, I've thought and responded like that in my life before. You kind of, you know, you have those internal dialogues with God and you're like, I, I, God, you need to do this. It's, it's this temptation that we all have at times in our lives where it, it really quickly becomes all about us. And Jesus says to them here, he says, all you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. All you, all, you already, in a sense, they already had it. You're, all you're going to get is the call to repentance. You, Jesus is saying here to them, you, you have all that you need in me. 
everything that you need, I am here. And you don't want to respond. And, and we see that because all the way through with Jesus and these leaders, even the resurrection wasn't enough. They worked even harder after the fact to prove that the resurrection didn't happen. And so we have Jesus as well. We, we have the scriptures. We have unbelievable proof of his existence. And we have the witness of the Holy Spirit within us. And the good news of Jesus is an invitation in our lives to repentance. So that's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, now we're going to go on to the disciples. So now, now, there's, now Jesus is interacting with the disciples, starting in verse 5. So it says, When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. How many, how many of you ever, uh, in, when you were younger, were taught the, the, the whole, how to remember the Sadducees? They were sad, you see? <laughs> you, you're all thinking that as we're reading this, aren't you? They're sad, you see? I can't get that out of my head. It is, yeah, it is a song, isn't it? Yeah, it is a song, that's right. I'm, I don't remember exactly how the song goes, but. So, so Jesus tells, I, do you ever wonder how Jesus, like, what his, uh, how he was, how he was saying that? Like, I wonder how he, how he, like, what was, what was, how he, how was he communicating that to the disciples? Because, like, are you guys really, really, you're wondering about bread? And but he tells them here, he says, "Be on guard against the yeast," meaning the influence of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? The the yeast that permeates that gets into the dough. And, and this leads the disciple, disciples to discuss. They're like, is, is, is he talking about bread? So, what's, what's happening here? Jesus is bringing something to their attention. And I, and I wonder if there's, there's a sense here that the disciples are actually avoiding it. And, and doesn't this happen in our lives, right? Where the Holy Spirit brings something to our attention, either through the still small voice or the Lord speaking to us, or it might come through others in our lives. Something is brought to our attention that we'd rather not address. And we avoid. 
We try to make it about something else. The Samaritan woman at the well, she did this with Jesus too when Jesus was talking with her. And all of a sudden, she tried to divert the conversation to worship. And, well, you Jews worship over here and we worship over here. And, and she tried to divert because I don't want to go there with you, Jesus. And I, I wonder if there's a little bit of that happening here with the disciples going, oh, what? We don't, we, no, no, Jesus, are you, are you talking about bread? Oh, oh, we didn't bring any bread. And, and, you know, and I wonder this because you notice what Jesus does here. Aware of their discussion, he just hits it head on with them. How, and he, and he says, how do you forget the two massive miracles that I've done in your midst? Like, and doesn't that stand out as odd? Like in reading this, you go, really guys? Like, you've, you have seen Jesus out of nothing feed thousands of people, upwards of 20,000 probably in the one and, and a bunch in the other miracle, and you guys are worried because you forgot bread? It, it's a minor, minor detail. Right? This, is like, this is inconsequential stuff that they're getting all bent out of shape about. I wonder, like, they seem to be distracted and wrapped up in the inconsequential. How could they forget what Jesus had done? But isn't that how it can be with us as well? We're, we're thrown into a similar situation in our lives, something where God has moved miraculously in the past. He's, he's worked in our lives. We're thrown into something similar, and we're like, Oh, where's God? And we don't think it's possible again. For whatever reason, we're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He might have done that in the past. But th- and, we, and we get all worried about how this is going to go. We, you never do that, right? You guys never do that. We're, we never get bent out of shape in our lives about minor details, inconsequential little things, small irritations. None of you are like that, right? We're all like, we're, 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 our eyes and our hearts, like you're always focused on Jesus. You're just like, yes! You're like, this morning in worship, that's you 100% of the time. No. And we forget how he's moved in our midst. And I think in that, one thing that I, I am... I'm slowly learning in my life and trying to learn is this thing of fostering gratitude for how God's goodness and presence is active in our lives. So I was, I was sitting at the dentist's office this week with one of our girls and we're sitting there waiting uh, for the dentist to come and get us and this lady comes out and she's talking to the receptionist, booking her next appointment. And I'm just, I'm overhearing this, this dialogue. And, and it was, she found a reason to complain about everything. From the moment she started talking to the receptionist, it was like everything had a negative spin on it. 
Everything was just negative. She, she found a way to complain, and I'm not making this about every little detail. There was a twist of complaint to it. And I don't even think she realized she was doing it. I mean, it was, it was something where I started to notice it, and so I'm listening, and I'm like, I don't think you even realize you're doing this. It's just, this is just part of the nature of who you are. It was years of learned behavior. And, and as I sat there and I thought about it after, I thought, what, what is the antidote to not becoming like that? It's, it's yeah, it's, and it's praise and thanksgiving for God's goodness in our lives. An intentional focus on, I am, I am grateful, praise you, God. God, I praise you for who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. Because I think if we're honest, most of us struggle to some extent with this. There's this thing of forgetting or doubting God's goodness or his faithfulness. Because when reminded, the disciples here, they realize what Jesus is getting at. They go, oh yeah, oh, okay, okay. Which was the teaching and the influence, again, of these two groups that Jesus is highlighting. See, the Sadducees, they were Sadducee. They, they, they were wealthy landowners. They actually weren't sad. They, they were wealthy landowners who, who wanted to keep the status quo going with the Romans. They, they wanted their comfort and prestige. They liked their place in, in society. Let's just not rock the boat. Jesus, he's rocking the boat. The Pharisees were actually more politically radical than the Sadducees. They, but, but they saw religion as just this list of observances and rules that they, that they had to keep. And Jesus saw all the unbelief that this had cultivated. He saw the hardness of heart that this had cultivated in them. And the, see, the thing is, the outward appearances, they looked good. The Sadducees looked good. The Pharisees looked good. They played the part. There was, they were following a set of cultural norms that kept them looking really good. Except, and this is the thing that's crazy, all of it kept them from, they completely missed Jesus. They completely missed him. The, 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 the religious leaders of the day, the ones who said, no, we, we are the ones who keep the Torah better than anyone. We're the ones who are like the ones you should look at and, you know, you should look at how we pray, look at how we fast. They completely missed Jesus. What about today? Can, can we grow up in and around the church, can we, can we be involved? Can, can we serve in different capacities? But do all that and actually not have a personal relationship with Jesus? I had, I had a conversation years ago with one of the other pastors here in town and, and it was just sharing with me about someone that they had, they had been interacting with who had been in the church for years decades, had served, had been influential in the church, and had, had admitted to them 
that they didn't know what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and they were actually quite okay with that. I, I, I remember at the time going, how is that possible? Because that is the I, I, I guess I grew up swimming in water where it was like the, the essence of faith is personal relationship with Jesus. If, if I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, what am I doing here? Do we know what it means to abide in Jesus? Like, like, do we know what it means to actually have union with Jesus? What, how is it that people can be in the church for decades and not experience that? Maybe it has something to do with that, that generally we are, we are experts at creating systems, structures, if you will, where, that make us comfortable to make God in our own image. Where, where we turn faith into all manner of things, but it's actually not about Jesus. Or maybe, you know, to, to take this a bit further for us today, it's, it's also the influences around us and in our lives that lead us away from trusting and following Jesus. All the, just the stuff, the continuous, the, the continuous barrage of stuff in the culture that goes, just takes us away from trusting and following Jesus and, and it's just a constant influence on us. Jesus wasn't, you know, in this, he wasn't throwing it all out either. He wasn't, he wasn't saying everything that you guys stand for with the Pharisees, I, we're throwing it all out. Jesus said, I, I, didn't, I didn't come to abolish the law. I, I came to fulfill it. I came to show you what God's heart and intent in all of this was. And what, what was that? Was it, was it not covenant, relationship, this, this thing of, of love for God with every part of our being? I was listening to something the other day on a podcast that was just staggering and I, I just trying to process it, but talking about how we love God with our whole being and how we've actually done a disservice in our culture where we actually don't do a good job of, of displaying the, the value of the human body in our worship. And we actually, we, what we've done is we've actually, we've, we've put a disvalue on our bodies in general and how we treat our bodies in our culture, even in the church. Of, it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. So it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies outside of the church. It doesn't matter, and, and, and there's the, we're being, we need to be called to a higher degree of value for the body as part of our worship for God. Because we are, we are, we are this goes back to, I think, a couple weeks ago where we were talking about how we, we are made to love God with every fiber, every single part of your body, your being, your person, is meant to express love for God. So now we get on to what the people were saying about Jesus. Jesus goes on, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, 
he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus is he's going, okay guys, who, who are others? What, what are people saying about me? Like Jesus was trending on Twitter. So there, there, was, there was talk about Jesus going on. He was, there was stuff, you know, lots, of, lots of talk about Jesus, right? He was kind of like what's happening with Elon Musk right now. Just lots of talk. And, and, and it wasn't just other rabbi that were talking about Jesus. There was people that were talking and forming opinions. So <laughs> they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. You know, that, isn't that odd? Like John the Baptist and Jesus lived at the same time. Clearly, they were different people. Clearly, if you were paying attention, you knew that John the Baptist was not Jesus. But some were saying, oh yeah, he's John the Baptist. Like Clearly, there was people who were not really paying attention. Like, they really didn't know what was going on. Like, come on. And then you've got, okay, so now others are, are saying, okay, well, maybe he's the return of Elijah, right? Because this is whole thing in the Jewish culture of Elijah was taken up into heaven, so he will return again. And yes, and Jesus himself said that actually John the Baptist was the prophetic fulfillment of that. And then they said, well, no, others are saying you're Jeremiah. Well, maybe because Jeremiah was sort of seen as a reformer in his day. So they were kind of comparing that Jesus is coming to be a reformer, kind of like Jeremiah. And then others were like, well, he's just one of the other prophets. So he's... So, you know, and, and, and in this, wrapped up in all this, right, the people were looking for a political savior. I mean, that was, that was kind of the, the trending thing of the day. We, we want someone to come and to deliver us from the oppression of the Romans. And so there was this kind of growing honor for Jesus because they saw the power and the influence he had, but there seemed to be a limit because he was supposed to follow the accepted norms of the day. And so there's all these opinions floating out there about Jesus. People on the edges, people assessing Jesus, not ready to follow. Do you notice that all of those opinions that the disciples share with Jesus there, none of them are saying he might be the Messiah. So what about, what about people today? Who is Jesus? I think some people are asking that question. I think also this, though, that we need to be honest and go, many aren't asking that question at all. Jesus is completely irrelevant to scads of people now. Scads and scads of people. Jesus, whatever. Go, go have your fun little pretend fake, you know, little religious thing called Christmas, Whatever. There's, there's a rising tide of, of various ideologies and humanism all mixed together. So, we've got this in the midst of this, this, this thing we're doing. Is, is this just like little ceremonies we're doing called Advent? What, what is this? But we... we I mean, I'm doing this, I mean, from my perspective, I'm, I'm embracing this because I believe with everything in me that we are celebrating 
Jesus, the, the arrival of God in the flesh. God, Emmanuel, God is God with us. And, and it's a time, part of this is a time to reflect on the most crucial moment in history. Apart, apart from Jesus' death and resurrection, that's, that's another massively important time. But, and, and yet, for many, this, this is just on the periphery, if you will. Like the holiday season that we're entering into is just about a, a whole bunch of scat of other things. Some good, some really good, some, some not so good. But it, it seems for Jesus that in this, when he asks the, the disciples, okay, what are people saying about me and how are people perceiving me? Jesus' response is kind of like, it is what it is. Jesus, Jesus knew that many wouldn't follow. It, it, doesn't, I'm not, it doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't open. It doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't receptive. It doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't seeking out people. It's not that. But, but the same is true today that there's many who are just ambivalent to Jesus. But there are others who are longing and searching and desiring truth. They, they want, they, they know that there's more to life. So, I'm thinking about this. I was thinking about this this week and just, because I think this is the reality of where we're at in our culture. What, what will speak to people? I think it's followers of Jesus who are different over a long period of time. Not, not just your snapshot, not just your Instagram post, not just your story, not just picking this quote out of here or this quote from here and posting it. No, followers of Jesus who it's like, like Eugene Peterson talks about, a long obedience in the same direction. Followers of Jesus who are embracing and, and, and that's just who they are. That we are, we are, we are committed to following Jesus and there's this consistency in our, in our lives, in our talk, in our actions. Because people need to encounter people who love Jesus. They need to encounter people where they go, that person is different. And they notice it. It's not just a snapshot, a moment in time. But as people around them go, that person continues to be different. That person doesn't talk about other people the same way as other people talk. That person makes decisions that are, I don't maybe understand, but they're different. Now, does that mean that, that every single person around you is like going to come to Jesus? No. You know, one of the things years ago that really helped me in that, um, I was in the secular workplace at the time, and what really helped me was hearing that, Paul, you are not responsible for everyone's salvation. I am not, I am not responsible for all, everyone's salvation. I am only responsible to live with authenticity in my life. So, maybe another way of looking at this for us right now is how, how does this season, for us as well, not become Jesus on the periphery? 
that Advent isn't just a bunch of, Christmas and all this isn't just a bunch of other stuff. How does, how does this season, how can it serve to grow my love and affection and worship for Jesus? How can it grow my union with Jesus? Okay, I want to read 15, verse 15 to 23. So Jesus then, he responds to the disciples and he says, But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That's interesting. That's really interesting, by the way, son of Jonah, right? Repentance. Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go on to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, Okay, this is all the stuff floating about me. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, probably not surprisingly, right? He's the one who's quick to jump on it. And, but this is, this is part of what's been all throughout Matthew. It's been leading up to this moment where Peter speaks now with clarity and conviction. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. He declares who he believes Jesus to be. And is that declaration not life-changing? The, the implications of that, if we say, Jesus, you are the very Son of God, does that not change the trajectory of one's life? How, again, how could it not? And, and so then Jesus, he continues and, and he responds with this incredible prophetic word over Peter of, of who he's going to be. And, and that's what's so brilliant here is that Jesus sees who Peter was and how messed up he was. And he saw who he was going to be despite the serious missteps that he had yet to make. But Jesus calls Peter to more. Peter. I see what you're going to be. Come on. There's, there's an invitation in that, right, for us, of Je like where Jesus goes, I see what you are, but I'm calling you to this. And then it seems like from there, there was more of this open door than to talk 
openly with the disciples about what was going to happen and where Jesus was going. It says, verse 21, it says, from that time on. So after, it's like, they've now made this definitive, like, this is who you are, Jesus. And from that time on. And so at some point, then that's when Jesus shares with them what's going to happen to him and how he's going to be killed and all this stuff that's going to happen. And Peter speaks up. He's like, this, no, 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 Jesus. This, this is not the way it's going to go. And I wonder if like, Peter is somehow like, internalizing the authority that Jesus had spoken over him. Like He's kind of now, I'm going to walk in this as Peter. Never, Jesus. <laughs> like, I don't know how, how did that conversation go, but it seems like Peter is like, kind of internalizing this, this new, I am the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, but <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that's got to get back on track now, guys. This isn't about Dwayne Johnson. But I wonder if, like, we do this too in our lives, where Jesus says things to us, but quietly. But maybe defiantly, we're like, no, 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 Jesus, that's not the way it's going to go. No, uh, no, no, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not okay with that, Jesus. No. Probably don't shout it from the youth top, rooftops because image, right? But do we have strong opinions in our lives where Jesus isn't really welcome? Because we've all got deeply held convictions that we are emotionally invested in. Is that not true? We all have that. And those, that area, Paul, does Jesus have invitation to come into my life and to speak into those areas? Do, do we, or, or do I verbally give Jesus full authority in my life? Like, do I verbalize, Jesus, you, you have full authority to come into my life and say and do whatever you want. And so Peter says this. And, and you know, Jesus' response is one of those times in the gospel where it's like, I wonder if there was like a moment of silence, like, what? Did he really just say that? He, he called Peter Satan. Like, is, is there a stronger rebuke in Scripture than this? this is, and this is like one of his right-hand guys. This is like Peter, the inner three. Why, why, did, why did Jesus respond that way? I think it's because... For Jesus, any plan, this plan that Peter had laid out for Jesus, any plan that would usurp, would take over from God's plan, Jesus was like, uh-uh, that's a problem. And he says there, he says, Peter, you are thinking from a human perspective. You have human concerns in mind. You do not understand what God is doing. He's, he's operating from a human point of view. 
Because Peter was still being led by his misconceptions, his views, his, his... When that was spoken over Peter, when Jesus spoke that prophetic word over Peter, do you think that Peter's, all of his views, his paradigms, all of his perspectives, opinions were magically just, poof, changed in an instant? Scripture says otherwise. Jesus is revealing here for us there is a totally different whole way of thinking and living that he is modeling for us. It is not, my ways and thoughts are not your ways. Peter was in process. We are all in process. You know, and, and what was the most significant thing that changed Peter? When you look at how, what happened with Peter, was it not being filled with the Spirit in Acts? When he was filled with the Spirit, something was completely different about Peter. The disciples were all here. They're all still trying to sort out what it means to follow Jesus, right? Just a couple chapters later, we read the disciples are arguing, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And they're arguing amongst themselves. Who's going to hold the power? I want to be number one, Jesus. I want to be number two. Jesus like, guys, what? So he goes on. So, <laughs> like, there was probably a little bit of silence, right? Here's the rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. Man. And then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus is, is laying just really clearly here for us. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, are you willing to accept this way? This, this nation-conquering earthly king that many had envisioned for the Messiah, Jesus is like, I'm not that guy. If, if you are thinking that my kingdom is all about power and influence and prestige, that's not my way. That is not the way of Jesus. He says, no, he's like, rather it's deny yourself. It's take up your cross, which in a Roman world that the cross was a symbol of execution, they clearly understood what Jesus is saying there. Take up your cross. If you, you want to keep your life or do you want to lose your life? And to what extent, Jesus is asking here. Like, are you, are you willing to potentially gain the whole world but lose your soul, lose your eternal life because of that? Is this not right here? Like, like that where Jesus says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? Let's be honest. How many 
are tempted, if you are given the whole world before you, now, and, and I think, like, to put that in, in relevant terms, think Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, or something on that level of wealth and prestige and power and influence, whatever, and you are, and it is offered to you. You can have this. You can live a life that is so profoundly extravagant you will have all the money you would ever hope to have. You will have power. You will have everything you want at your fingertips. Are, are you willing to lose me over that? And I, I think that's a sobering question because the temptation to that is real. And it's the lie that Satan wants to plant again and again and again. You can have everything you want and you don't need God. See, because this, we, we have to wrestle. This is, this is the question right here that we have to wrestle with, that, that all of us have to wrestle with. Do I actually believe this? Do, do I believe this or is this just a bunch of whatever that's what it comes down to. And it will be, yes, I believe this. I stake my life on this. I will die for this. Or, see, what, what, what Satan does with us is the very same thing that he did with Jesus in the desert. It's the very same thing of temptation. First thing, what, what lies did Satan try and tempt Jesus with? Identity. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Are you really the son or daughter of God? Really? You, you actually believe that you're a son or a daughter of God? You believe that? Really? You, you think that all this talk in the Bible about God saving you is true? Second thing that Satan always is coming at us with, will God really come through for you? Throw yourself down, Jesus. The scriptures say that the angels will come, that, that you, you will not hit a stone. The angels will come to your aid. In that, does God really love you? Does God really love you? Or is this all just made up? And the third temptation is the thing of power, wealth, and prestige. Bow down and worship me, Jesus. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to walk the road of pain. You don't need to walk through all of what the Father has for you. No, no, no. You just bow down to me. I'll give you all of your heart's desires now. You can have it now. Whoever wants to save their life, Jesus says, according to human ideas, human wisdom, will what? See, this, this is the question. People have all sorts of ideas about who Jesus is, all sorts of ideas about what this means for our life. This, and this is the thing 
Jesus isn't being harsh here. This isn't Jesus trying to be harsh with us at all. He's pointing us to reality. He's saying, this, this is reality. You will either go after this or you will go after me. You are designed for relationship and union with God. This is who you are made to be. Don't listen to lies. And the promise there, the last verse we read, is that for those who embrace the way of Jesus, there are rewards coming. There's actually rewards for those who follow the way of Jesus. What we do and how we live before the Lord matters. See, the intent of Advent, we're not ultimately just remembering a, and, and celebrating a baby in a manger and looking back to this cute little infant. I mean, that, that's, that's how God came to be with us. But that's, that's not ultimately what we're looking for. It's this celebration of his coming. It's this stirring, this longing and expectation in us for his return that I'm coming. He says, I'm coming for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. I don't know what that looks like. But see, this is again where this is the invitation. Do I believe that? Will I stake my life on that? Or will I go another way? I wanna, okay, I want to do something here. I had, I had this thought late last night. I was, str- I was struggling with how to, how to close today and how to, where, do we, where do we go with this. Um, I'm glad that there's a number of you here who are advanced in years a little bit more than me. I want you to look around, those of you who are younger like me, and younger than me. <laughs> look around. I want, you, I want you to look around at people here who are more advanced in age than you. Just look around. It's okay. Don't be, in, it's just, don't be uncomfortable. Don't be embarrassed. It's okay to look at one another, guys. I look at all of you all the time. So look, you can look at one another. I want you to see those of us who are younger. See those around you who are older and have remained faithful. Those of you who are, you have remained faithful. You're here because you believe that Jesus is the way. I'm, I'm for most, I, I think that, I'm, I'm assuming that, and that's, that's a great thing. You know that your example matters? Your example really, really matters in a world that is like pushing as everything they can. I, 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 and, I, and I, like, even myself, I'm, I still, I'm really young. I still <laughs> consider myself super young. But, but, you know, those who are younger than me, I, I see the pressure of the, and, and of the culture. Yeah. And I go, man, like, it is brutal. Look around at those who have remained faithful because it matters.